Please take your uh, Bibles and turn with me to Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1028 of the Pew Bible, uh, page 1028. Revelation uh, chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord as it comes to us today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Oh, and I saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have this word uh, before us uh, this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be evident uh, among us today, both as we seek to uh, preach the word faithfully 
And Lord, as all of us seek to, to hear what you have for us, that we might know you better and that we might love you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, a fairly startling headline appeared uh, on the uh, BBC News uh, broadcast. The headline was this, Resurrection Did Not Happen. Uh, that's maybe not so startling if you think about the world, but resurrection did not happen, say, quarter of Christians uh, in Britain. A quarter of people who describe themselves, this report said, as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Dr. Lorraine Cavanaugh, General Secretary for Modern Church, said, I think people answering the survey, that is, do they believe in the resurrection, are being asked to believe in the way they, they might have been asked to believe uh, when they were at Sunday school. So to ask an adult, she said, to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements, she said, of the Christian faith. Quarter of Christians... No resurrection. Mm -mm. Headline CNN, uh, April 2014. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? This is CNN here in our country. It is, in fact, said CNN, the essential Christian celebration as the Gospels focus hugely on this part of the Jesus story. Questions arise, of course. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What would that look like? Many Christians imagine some literal awakening from the dead and refuse to accept the slightest hint that the resurrection might be regarded as symbolic without denigrating it. The four gospel accounts, say CNN, of what happened after Easter suggest that a lot of different rumors circulated about the resurrection. But Christian thinking is resurrection thinking. It's about rebirth or reawakening in many forms, about spiritual and moral transformation. This is, this is the really good news of Easter, not a physical resurrection uh, of the body uh, of, of Jesus. Uh, this is common. Uh, it doesn't matter what year you look to, what uh, broadcast. But maybe it's not so common to hear so many uh, those who profess to be Christian uh, say something like that about the resurrection. To which, of course, the Bible every year, uh, every day, every month will say the same thing. Uh, he's not here. He's risen. Uh, he is alive. Right. And so that will that will stay there. And remember, last week we talked about uh, where we stand together as a church and we stand upon uh, the word of the Word of God. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you and I believe about it uh, is, of course, crucial uh, to our life together uh, as believers. And there's a reason that we gather together on this day of the week uh, to worship. It is the day of resurrection. Every time you come to the place of worship on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day, uh, you're here because you know uh, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so you come and you want to worship Him. We just sang that. He, he is worthy of our praise. Right? He's worthy of our praise. And so we come. And now for the Apostle John, who's banished to the island of Patmos here in Revelation 1, uh, because of his faith in Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead meant everything to him, and we find out in this passage that it led John uh, to worship. Why will we worship together? Why will uh, members of this church, uh, visitors to this church, uh, folks in our community who do not yet know the Lord, why will we come to this place on the Lord's Day to worship Him? Well, 
will come because we've seen something of the resurrected Christ in all His glory. That's what we want to think about this morning. Why will we come to worship? Well, think about what John tells us here, first of all, in Revelation 1. First of all, when we think about worshiping on the day of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus means that uh, troubled believers... Uh, can have uh, confidence. The resurrection of Jesus means uh, confidence for the troubled believer. Notice how the book starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And notice what the Bible says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear uh, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means apocalyptus in Greek, or the unveiling, the disclosing, something uh, something that is not hidden. And so this is the, the, uh, the, the revealing, uh, the Bible says, of Jesus Christ. It could be Jesus is the object here. That is, everything in the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. Or it could be the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, he is the subject here. He is the one who is, uh, through whom this revelation comes. Uh, but either way, uh, the Bible saying here that this book of Revelation is all about, uh, all about Jesus. But notice right at the beginning here this, this wonderful promise of, of blessing in verse 3. Blessed uh, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Letters in the New Testament uh, would go to local churches uh, and someone would read that letter uh, to the congregation. And here, uh, John says, blessed are those also who hear uh, and keep. The word keep there means to heed or to take to heart what is written. Now that's important right as we start into this chapter. The Bible saying here, uh, that this is not a book. Uh, the book of Revelation is not a book, as one person put it, the book of Revelation is not a book to tickle our fancy, um, but it's meant, to, as it says here in the beginning, it's meant to take to heart, to read it, to hear it, uh, and, to, um, uh, and to keep it, and to have it sink down uh, into, into our bones. You know, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus holds great blessing for us. It's one of the sad uh, ironies of history that the one book of the Bible, think about this, the one book of the Bible which begins uh, with an explicit pronouncement and promise of great blessing. It's right here. Great blessing for reading it and hearing it and keeping it has become uh, uh, the one book of the Bible that many see as too difficult or impossible to understand. Right? You've experienced that. You say, oh, I can't. Uh, oh, we're going to study Revelation. Oh, I, I can't do that. I mean, John Calvin, as we know, didn't write a commentary on that. How could I study that book? You know, it's too, it, can't, it must be too grand for me. I can't, I can't get into it. And so Revelation gets this uh, reputation of something too difficult, impossible, or so full of strange and unusual things, it can't possibly be relevant to my life today, and therefore I don't even bother to read it uh, or to take it to heart. Isn't that ironic? It's the one book of the Bible that says, read it, hear it, uh, take it to heart. Oh, great blessing for such a one. And notice who this word is for. The Apostle John, uh, this word is for, and all the servants of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus, which God gave him to show his servants 
the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So it's for John and for all the servants of the Lord. That includes uh, you and I. Look how John describes those servants down in verse nine. I, John, your brother and partner in partner in two things, says John, the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus while he's on the island of Patmos. Two things he says he shares uh, with the servants of God, uh, servants and uh, partners in tribulation, that is suffering. Uh, you read the, uh, the letter of 1 Peter. You find out that if you're a Christian, um, Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't think something strange happening to you if you suffer for speaking out for Jesus at school or if you speak out for Jesus in your workplace. Don't think that's strange. That's part and parcel of what it means uh, to be a Christian, that there's going to be opposition. So they're suffering. Uh, John's a, a partner in that tribulation, but also partners in the kingdom. So yes, they're suffering, uh, but John also knows, as uh, Colossians 1 says, that Christians are those who have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness, uh, transferred into the kingdom of his son. And so we are uh, brought into the reign and rule of King Jesus, even though we suffer. Now, this calls for patient endurance, right? This is what John is talking about. So as he writes this letter, uh, given the words by the Spirit, he's writing to a people who are both in the kingdom of God, they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but they are also suffering and persecuted for their faith, even as John is right now on the island of Patmos. So that's the context. What's the encouragement for those who are troubled Believers. Well, John begins the letter to these, you know, people in the kingdom, but yet suffering, persecuted for their faith, struggling in the Christian faith. How does he begin the letter? By encouraging the churches to take confidence in the resurrected Lord. Notice what he says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from who? From him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. Look up, he's saying. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so there's blessing here for uh, reading, for hearing, for keeping this book. And to troubled believers, the first word uh, that is sent to them is, is look up uh, at the resurrected Lord. Find confidence uh, in your life because of who God is, who the Spirit is, and especially here, who the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, Himself. He's the faithful witness, verse 5. That is, He's the faithful witness to the Word of God. Jesus comes... Uh, uh, speaks uh, only truth, testifies to the truth of who God is, who He is. He's the firstborn of the dead. Uh, that is, His resurrection is the foundation, the pattern for the promised resurrection of believers. Firstborn here means unique status and, and dignity. In the Old Testament, Israel is called the firstborn of the Lord. Uh, Jesus is the, is the chief. He is highest in honor and rank. And He has been raised, firstborn of many, many brothers. And so John says, we celebrate um, that he's freed us from our sins by his blood. He's made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. We are his servants, citizens of the kingdom. Jesus is the king. 
to whom belongs all glory and dominion and power and authority uh, forever. So that's the first thing John communicates by the Spirit. To trouble believers, we can have confidence because we see the resurrected, glorified Savior freed us from our sins, and now uh, he's raised, and he has all dominion and power and authority. So if you're struggling, suffering, persecuted, fearful, if you're doubtful, or as John was, banished, exiled, imprisoned for your faith in Jesus, uh, the Bible says take heart, take confidence, uh, take confidence now in the resurrected and reigning Lord. Uh, first thing we get, first point really is, is, is this. When you take confidence in the resurrected Lord, you can never praise him too much. Did you know that? You can never praise Jesus too much. You can never worship Jesus too much. Because the Bible says here he's been given all glory, uh, all dominion forever. You can never praise him too much. You can praise him too little. Uh, you can worship him too little. Yeah, to be sure. Uh, but, you know, and there's a lot of things you can do in your life that's too much. You know, yesterday we had, you know, the open house over. It was wonderful. We had wonderful fellowship, but there was a lot of food. And after all you folks left, uh, there's still food over. And so, yeah, I can eat too much. Uh, oh, I didn't get one of those. So I tried one of those. And oh, I didn't get one of those at seven o'clock. So I tried one of those. And thankfully, Abby put them all away. Uh, but you can have too much food. We can uh, too much, uh, you know, too much sports or something like that. And we get sore. Um, never too much Praise. Ever. The resurrected, resurrection of Jesus means confidence for the troubled believer. It also means uh, my time is in his hands. Now, this is really interesting here in Revelation 1. This opening uh, couple of verses, uh, our eyes are lifted up for troubled believers. We get our eyes set on, on the resurrected Savior full of glory and, and dominion. But notice also the resurrection of Jesus means my time is in his hands. Now, notice what happens here in verse 9. I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance there in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis and Philadelphia. And to Laodicea. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, Patmos is a small island about 30 miles southwest of uh, Ephesus, uh, modern-day uh, Turkey. It was a prison island with volcanic hills, uh, eight miles long, apparently, four miles wide. So maybe, um, maybe from here to Woodstown and then up to Mullica Hill, maybe, four miles, eight miles, something like that. Um, so not, not large, but that's where he was. He was in the Spirit. That is, the, uh, the Holy Spirit was uniquely uh, revealing to the Apostle John these revelations to be passed on to the churches in the Spirit, says John, on the Lord's Day. Now, this is really interesting. The Lord's Day, or the Day of the Lord, the Day belonging to the Lord. This is the only reference to the Lord's Day in the New Testament. But what it tells us is hugely uh, hugely significant. The church father, uh, Clement of Alexandria, wrote this in the second century, a true Christian, according to the commands of the gospel, observes the Lord's day by casting out all bad thoughts 
and cherishing all goodness, honoring the resurrection of the Lord, which took place on that day. That's what a Christian does. On the Lord's day, uh, honoring the Lord, casting out all uh, bad thoughts, all good thoughts of Christ and His glory and dominion, filling the mind and honoring the Savior, the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. It's the day of resurrection. That's why it's called the Lord's day. It belongs to Him. So here in Revelation 1.10, this is a clear indication that before the canon of Scripture is closed, before, uh, before new Scripture uh, uh, ends being given, before the Holy Spirit has, uh, has, has given all the words that are going to be written uh, for us to have, before that happens, uh, there was already a consciousness within the New Testament church uh, that there was a particular day of the week which, like the Old Testament Sabbath, uh, was holy to the Lord. Just like we have the, uh, the Lord's Supper. It belongs to Him. No one would ever think of, of uh, saying, well, yeah, I know the Lord has given us the Lord's Supper, but I think, I'll, I think I'll mix it up a bit. I'm not so sure that... No one would do that. It's the Lord's Supper. We treat it with care. And, and there's something called the Lord's Day. It's a day holy to the Lord. In Isaiah 58, it's called My Holy Day. And this day of the week, the Lord's Day, in which John is in the Spirit receiving this revelation for us of the resurrected Christ, uh, was the day of Christ's resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak of t- together of uh, the resurrection of Jesus toward the dawn of the first day of the week. This is what, when the uh, early church gathered, we read about it in the New Testament. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession says this, that God's appointed Sabbath day of, of rest and, and worship uh, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called uh, the Lord's Day, and to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian uh, Sabbath. This is the day on which uh, John receives this revelation uh, of the wonder and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is pretty amazing because this tells us that uh, for John and for the New Testament uh, Christians, there was this consciousness that their, that their week, uh, their time uh, was, um, uh, was managed uh, or organized by the Lord. That their week um, would begin uh, remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then they would go out forth from that day uh, to live for the resurrected Christ. You see that? How in the Old Testament, um, you know, the Sabbath was the last day of the week because all the Old Testament prophecies and so forth is all pointing ahead uh, to a rest and, and a salvation, uh, redemption that was to come. Looking forward to that, that rest. Jesus comes, dies for our sin, rises from the dead on the third day, and on that third day, that third day becomes is the first day of the week. They gather, they worship, they celebrate new life in Christ. And then they go out uh, to serve Him through the rest of the week. And from the resurrection forward, that is the day. Uh, that is the Lord's holy day. Now, why is that important? Well, because... Oh, well, it's important every time you look at a calendar. Uh, I remember when we moved to New Zealand uh, for the first time many years ago, and 
bought a calendar at the grocery store or at a dollar store or something or other, and I said, what's wrong with this calendar? And I'm looking at this calendar, and instead of, instead of having Sunday on the left side of the calendar, it had Sunday on the right side of the calendar. You ever have seen one of those calendars? Um, I hope they're not here in New Jersey. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, they're probably here. But, um, and I thought, what's going on with that? And it, well, wait a minute. Every calendar uh, <laughs> that, that I've ever looked at has Sunday as the first day of the week. That's not by accident. Because it is the first day of the week. It is the day of resurrection. So our very calendars are influenced by the resurrection of Jesus. And so here, the Lord's Day in John's mind represents that day of resurrection. And he sees something of the glory of Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, how is, wait a minute, if there's such a thing as the Lord's Day that is so important, it's, the week starts with the resurrection of Jesus. That's how I need to organize my week. Starting with Jesus. Now you think about your own calendar at home. Uh, how is your time organized? You know, what is your what is your calendar organized around? You know, that is what is everything on your calendar kind of pointing to? For some, it's sports events that light up that calendar, and everything you schedule uh, is around that that sports event. For some, it's their work. For some, it's something else. Uh, but all of us have have a calendar in our minds and hearts uh, around which our life, our life truly organizes. It sets the pattern for our life. And here in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, as John receives this picture of the glory of Christ, uh, he receives it on the Lord's day. The Lord is saying, your time uh, belongs to me. The resurrection of Jesus is meant to set the pattern for your life, the pattern for your, for your living, so that simply, friends, every week, uh, every week, you begin with the Lord. Every week, you begin celebrating. Um, I, have a, I have a crucified, as we will in the Lord's Supper, a crucified and risen Savior. And I sing His glory. And, and when I begin my week, that's how I begin my week. How could I begin my week without it? How could I live for Him without first meeting with Him to celebrate all that He has done, you see, for me? The resurrection of Jesus means confidence for troubled believers. It means my time is in His hands. Oh, my whole life, you know. The Lord's day and everything else flows from the work of Jesus. And the resurrection also means that that I am overwhelmed by the, the majesty and the beauty of Christ. Now, this is really uh, amazing. You know, there's a reason that Protestants do not have, typically, a crucifix around their neck. A crucifix, you know, is a depiction of the cross uh, with a figure of Jesus still suffering. This is why the book of Revelation. This is why. Because what John heard, right? He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What he heard was a loud voice telling him to write. You've got to write this down and you've got to get this word out uh, to the people living in the first century. You've got to get it out to us. I've got to get it out to me so that I'll hear it and I'll keep it. And what John saw was this in verse 12. Then I turned... To see the voice 
that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now that comes right from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. The prophecy of one like a son of man who comes to the Ancient of Days. And the, and the Son of Man in Daniel 7 is given, uh, is given a kingdom and He's given all rule and He's given all authority. And so John sees one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, purity and wisdom, like white wool, like snow, which we're going to get soon here in New Jersey, I trust. Um, his eyes were like a flame of fire, that is. Uh, he sees, uh, his, his sight burns right into us. He sees the deepest parts of us. His holiness addresses that, that sin deep within. Flame of fire in his feet, uh, ready for war. Yep, ready for war to do, uh, to fight battle against the evil on his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice, says John, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Ever been in Niagara Falls? Made of the mist, down below the falls, they try to get as close as they can. Not too close. But even as far away as they get, right? So this voice, says John, like the roar of many waters in his right hand, he held seven stars. And we find out later, those stars represent the churches. Because he holds the church, of course, in his hand. Seven churches, these seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. He speaks the word of God. And his face, said John, was like the sun shining in full strength. Remember kids, don't look at the sun. <laughs> you know, don't, don't look directly into the sun. That's not a good idea. That John, his, his face was like the sun. This is, what, uh, this is what John sees in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What do you see on the day of resurrection? What do you see? Do you wake up on the Lord's Day um, anticipating uh, some, seen something in the Scripture and with His people, seen something of the glories uh, and the beauty of Christ? Do you anticipate seeing something of the love and the mercy and the grace of God? Is that how you wake up on the Lord's Day? Ready to see something of the crucified, the risen, and the glorified Savior, grace to us, sinners in the wonder of the Gospel. Glorious Lord, crucified indeed, but risen. Or, or do you wake on the Lord's Day to business as usual? Drag yourself maybe to the place of worship. Yeah, we got to go. Starts at 11. I don't know if I can make it. Mm. Six? Second service? What? How could I possibly? You know, I'll go once. But I mean, boy, oh boy. What are those elders thinking? 
That's, 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 that's just, too, I mean, that's really too much to ask, don't you think? It really is. And really, even when you are here, maybe wish you were somewhere else. Oh boy. What did John see on the Lord's Day? Well, on the Lord's Day in the Spirit, he, he saw a vision, the Bible says, of the exalted Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrected Christ in all His, in all His, His glory. The brilliant majesty of Christ's appearance. Not Jesus meek and mild. Now, how does John respond? Well, let's see. Verse 7 says, When I saw Him, that is, when I saw Jesus in all His resurrected glory as the crucified and risen Savior, in my presence, when I had eyes to see, when I saw Him, I, I fell at His feet as though dead. Dead. Overwhelmed, John is, with the majesty of the risen Christ on the Lord's day. Now, why would John respond that way as though dead? Well, because John knows he's a sinner. John knows that he is full of sin. And even though he believes in the Lord, he knows he's impure and he falls into sin. And, and, and like, like Isaiah, Isaiah 6 that we talked about this morning in adult education or Sunday school, um, even for the believer, even for a prophet, when you see something of, of the glory of who God really is, doesn't matter who you are, down you go. And if you don't go down and fall before Him in worship, that means, of course, that we haven't really seen Him. Because when we see Him as He is, we will know who we are. And we will bow down, you see, and worship. When John meets the written Christ, he falls down. This is a pattern in Scripture when Joshua... Remember this? When Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army, the Bible says he fell on his face and worshipped. When Jesus was born, the wise men come uh, from the east. Foreigners coming uh, to the promised Messiah. And when they come, the Bible says they fell down and worshipped him. Several times in the book of Revelation, we read it in Revelation 5, the elders fall down and worship him. Friends, what do you do when confronted uh, with the resurrected Lord? John says he's, he's overwhelmed with uh, the majesty of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death. And Hades says the resurrected Lord to the overwhelmed, fallen at his feet, as though he were dead, John, uh, the resurrected, glorified Lord says, fear not, fear not, I am the living one. I have, I have uh, the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is saying, I have the power of life and death. And as the Bible say elsewhere, if you have the Son, if you exercise faith in the Son, you have life. Why? Because he has the power to give life. If you have the Son, you have life. But the Bible also says if you do not have this Son, right, you do not have life. He's the one before whom we bow who indeed has the power of life itself. This is the one we come 
to worship. So just in closing, the resurrection means confidence for the troubled believer. It means my times are in His hand in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And it means I'm overwhelmed by the majesty and beauty of Christ on this, uh, the day of resurrection. And so the point, friends, is this, that John was then compelled uh, to worship because he had seen the Lord. Are you? Are you compelled that is, to worship. That is, you can't help that if you, if you say, oh, is, is my church family gathering to worship the Lord? How can I not be there to join my brothers and sisters to worship the glorified and the resurrected? Lord, John was compelled to worship. And he just came. He, we, we come. We come to worship. I'm reminded of my favorite film, Field of Dreams, from many years ago. Uh, Ray Kinsella is a farmer in Iowa. And he, he thinks he hears a voice uh, that says he should build a baseball diamond in the middle of his cornfield. And his wife thinks he's crazy and so forth. And so, but he builds a baseball field in the middle of his uh, cornfield. And uh, he does it because he, he thinks he, he, well, he hears a voice that says, if you build it, uh, if you build it, he will come. And so I want to change that a little bit. So he built, you know, he builds this baseball field. And if you build it, he will come. Um, the Bible says, if you see him, if you see him, if you see something of the resurrected Lord, you will come. You will come and worship him wherever he is being worshipped. Friends, it's not that people don't come to this place of worship with God's people because they don't have time. Or because they're too busy with other things. No, that's a lie. It's not true. We don't come to worship wherever it is and whenever it is if we have not seen the One who is worthy of our worship. He's just not worthy of our coming. And so, we don't come. Let's not lie to ourselves. We don't worship Him because unlike John, right? We haven't seen Him, but if we see Him, as John sees Him, the crucified, the risen Lord, as we get to see Him every Lord's Day, right here, in this place, oh yes, oh yes, we will come. We will come. Maybe sometimes we won't even know why, but we'll come. Because we want to be where this Savior, where this Redeemer is worshipped and praised. Why will we worship together? Well, we will worship together, friends, only when together we see something, something of the glory and majesty of the One who came to die for our sins, rose again from the dead, and is now glorified with all dominion, all power, all authority. And when we see Him, oh, we fall down at His feet. May that be true of us here for our uh, eternal good and for His everlasting glory. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for uh, this passage of Scripture, Lord, that uh, we get a glimpse of uh, something uh, of the glory of the risen Christ. Lord, we're so thankful that uh, we have this passage and 
We're thankful for the Apostle John who on that Lord's Day received such a revelation. Oh Lord, we thank You that this is recorded for us. So that it can be read. It can be heard. And oh Lord, that it would be taken to heart. Oh Lord, help us take the resurrected Christ to heart today. That we too with John would be found worshiping before the King, the ruler of the kings of earth. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.